Good morning, church. I guess the front row is a scary place to be this morning. Um, how are we doing? Are we doing good? Worship was incredible. And I just want to give it up also for our production team in the back. Uh, can we just give it up for the unsung heroes of that moment? Our worship team, man, they brought everything that they had. It was it was incredible, the talent, the gifts, and, and just their their... I don't know, authentic worship. I can't celebrate that enough. But there are other hands that help bring worship to this moment. And the people that we don't see are lights, sound, projection, camera, video switcher in the back, online sound in the back. So one more time, can we just celebrate those people? Awesome. No one notices production team. The goal is for you to not know production team exists. They don't want to ever distract from what the Lord is doing. And uh, we don't actually know they're there until there's a mistake. And that's a, that's a tough job to carry. So we celebrate you guys. And I didn't actually see any mistakes, so I'm not trying to cover for you. You did awesome. I'm in a series called Haunted House. We're talking about fear. And uh, this is part two of that series. Today, um, I want to kind of pick up where I left off last week. Last week, I propose to you that fear and faith are linked. So the bigger the faith, the lower the fear. The higher the fear, the lower the faith. I took it a step further to say, I'm sorry, I'm trying to grow my beard and I feel like it's all up my nose and it's in that awkward stage. So if I do this a lot, forgive me. Yep, that's what's going on in my mind right now. I took it a step further to say that when fear and faith are linked, they're also linked directly to our intimacy with God. So the more that we have an authentic encounter with Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with his presence through whatever means that we connect with him, the more the, the deeper the connection, the more that our faith is stirred, the more that our faith comes alive inside of us. And as a result, fear naturally begins to dissipate. Today, I want to talk on, now last week, at the end of sermon, I got pretty riled up, got a little hot and bothered and said, I, next week, I'm going to preach on the fear of God. And I mean, it just fits so good, but um, I, I changed my mind. <laughs> I'm not today going to preach on the fear of God. I'm going to preach that next week, and I've already started that sermon. It, it's, it's going to be a good one. But I felt like I couldn't address the fear of God until I first addressed the fear of man. So today I want to walk you through the fear of man. And, and I will say at the end of the sermon today that the number one atomic remedy for the fear of man is the fear of God. So I'll walk you next week into the remedy. But first, you and I need to come to a, a real understanding of what the fear of man is and decide if you have it. No one can tell you if you have it or not. Only you can tell yourself. But we're going to talk about that. In Proverbs 29 verse 25, it says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much for what you're doing in the hearts of your people. God, over the next 26 minutes, I ask that you would just stir something inside of our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you would come and do something inside of us 
Maybe something that you've been wanting to do for a while and we've just been holding on so tightly. God, we've just created fist on the things that we didn't want to let go, but God, in the next 25 minutes, we're going to slowly begin to open those hands. And we're going to trust you with our heart. Holy Spirit, come and move among us. We give you full permission to wreck our world. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. 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 So we have a family in the church that just got back from Walt Disney World. Uh, Tony and Tiffany Hernandez were there. If you're Facebook friends, you got to, you know, watch all of their, their journeys and their fun pictures. And they were in first service. They're not in second. Uh, but yes, they had a great, fantastic time. And as I was watching their time in Orlando, I started reflecting on my own time in Orlando. Um, I love the mouse myself. And I like to go to Disney World. I've been on a Disney cruise, personally. Never mind. I think it's highly overrated, but um, any cruise is good in my book. But Disney World is amazing. Disney World is amazing. I was thinking this week, we went to Typhoon. What, what's it called? Disney? No, it's in Disney World. Typhoon Lagoon. Yes. And it was great. We went a couple of days, and um, I'm in my swimsuit and my white T-shirt because when you're this white, you don't go without a t-shirt in any part of the country. And I'm walking up steps and I've got kids, you know, my kids are with me, nieces, nephews, we're all like running up these stairs and we're gonna slide down this, this spout that looks insane and we're going quick and the steps are slippery and all of a sudden my feet come out from under me and I land on my hip across like three or four stairs and my foot goes underneath the railing and twists. Yeah, exactly. And as soon as I fall down, I immediately jump back up to my feet to see who saw. Has that ever happened to you? Like you do something, you just make a fool of yourself and then you're like, wait, who saw that? And so I stand up and the people, the kids behind me, they're like, dad, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, you go ahead. You go ahead. And so I stand there catching my breath. And then some, some ladies, about 30 years my senior, pass me up the steps. And I look down at my foot, and it's beginning to get swollen and purple. And thankfully, it's not bleeding. So, you know, I'm not going to attract sharks in the lagoon. Um, but it's really, really bad. And I just kept thinking, I've got to make it up the slide and then slide down and then go read a book. I was in Orlando, Florida. And I cared so much about what all of these people that I'm never going to see again, I cared what they thought about me in that moment. How ridiculous is that? You've done it too. Like how ridiculous. We're so concerned with how other people see us that we will modify our behavior on the spot to try to convince them that we didn't do what we know we just did. Are you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, for example, say you fall asleep on a Monday night at prayer because you've had a long week and you body twitch while you're asleep. Let's just suppose one of the staff at the Exchange Church did that on a Monday night, last Monday night, and they fell asleep after a long week and they body twitched and then all of a sudden they just begin to do this so no one sees (laughs) that they're sleeping. I'm not going to call them out. I know their heart is racing right now. I'm not going to do it. You'll have to come tomorrow night to see who lays down on the benches. And we instantly modify our behavior, right? Because we, on some level, are afraid of the opinions 
and the perspectives of men. And when I say men, I don't mean men. I mean men, women, children, people, the world, social media. You know, those 1,800 friends that you don't really even know their last name. Those people. We're so consumed with how the world perceives us. I want to take you to my text today, John chapter 12. And this text is a brilliant example of the fear of man. Jesus here is teaching, and half the people in the room are for Jesus. Half the people in the room are anti-Jesus, the Pharisees at the moment. But then there's a portion of the room, an undisclosed amount of people in the room who are on the fence. People who are leaning in a little closer to Jesus. Their heart is pounding a little harder because they really sense the authority that is coming out of his mouth. They, they really sense, hey, this, this really is the person that the prophets foretold. And Jesus is teaching. And, and where we pick up in the story, um, there's a group of people that had come to believe in him, but the Bible is giving us some insight into what they're thinking. So let's read in verse 42. Jesus is teaching, yet at the same time, Many, even among the leaders, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for what? For fear, they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, if they went public, the Bible is saying, if, if they went public, these people would be kicked out of the temple. They are afraid of the Pharisees seeing that they're buying what Jesus is selling that they're picking up what Jesus is putting down. They're afraid how this might impact their role in the community. They're afraid, how does this impact my reputation? Like, literally, my name is on the line. This is what the Bible's saying. These people are wrestling with. Let's see what it says in verse 43. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. These people who were wrestling with that decision of trusting in Jesus, the Bible gives us the verdict on that. It lets us see the outcome, which we would not have normally been able to see. We would not have been able to judge the motives of these men's heart. But the Bible lets us know the reality is they stayed quiet when they should have spoken up because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. More than. I wonder how many of us today sitting in this room, and congratulations for making it to church. I think there's true value to finding yourself in community where you can receive a blessing and you can also be a blessing. But I wonder, even in the midst of being a good old Christian, checking off church attendance this morning, how many of us are more concerned with the opinions of others than the opinions of God? How many of us focus more on the opinions of our kids, our spouse, our boss, our colleagues, all of these things, more than the opinion of God? When you walked in today, you received a magnifying glass. Did we have enough for everyone? Did we run out of magnifying glasses? No, we have more. So if you need one, raise your hand. I gave them to you today because in your notes, there are some blanks that you're going to fill in and you'll see tiny little answers and you can use that magnifying glass to find the answer and fill in the blanks and you can get ahead of me if you want. 
Many of you are testing to see if the magnifying glass works. Go ahead, take a minute. I'm going to give you time. Take a minute. If you pull it further away from the paper, it gets a little, there's just like a sweet spot that you have to find. And, and for those of you who feel like the magnifying glass really doesn't work, let me just tell you in advance, it does. So the problem's not with the magnifying glass. I told Cheryl in the office before service, I was like, these things don't work. And she was like, they work. Everyone's got a magnifying glass because I want you to remember that you have a choice today. You have a choice what you're going to magnify. Are you going to magnify what God says about you today? Or are you going to magnify what the world says about you today? I hope that you and I can take a journey together and we can really do some hardcore self-examination of what we've been putting priorities on. What have you been placing as the priority from your lens, your perspective, the magnifying glass of your soul? I want to take you today through John chapter 12 and understand that as John writes this, he really expects you and I to be blown away. He expects us to be shocked by the fact that there are humans on planet Earth that would value the praise of men more than the praise of God. That anyone would actually choose the glory offered by men than choose the glory offered by God. That's exactly what these people are doing, and that's called the fear of man. The fear of man is when you have a deep desire for approval, a controlling fear of people's rejection, your desire to be respected, esteemed, admired, included, invited in. And sometimes you also have this accompanying fear where you have this fear of being overlooked. You have a fear of being mistreated, neglected, excluded, victimized. All of these fears wrapped into one. All of these things are just different outlets, outworkings of the fear of man. Now listen, the fear of man has actually started out as a legitimate concern. You, you know that, right? The, the, the notion of caring what you think is actually a legitimate desire. It is a bona fide, God-ordained desire placed within inside of your heart. God actually wired you and I, and we should make progress in caring for other people. So what I'm What I'm not trying to preach to you today is this philosophy of me and Jesus and no one else. Maybe you've seen someone or you know someone or maybe you're this person where it's just like you really revel in the fact. You really wear it like a badge, this notion that you don't care what anybody thinks. They can think whatever. It's just me and Jesus. That's great. It's just not really biblical. There, there is this balance that I want to communicate and I want to take you through in scripture. Like the reality is you were designed to be an ambassador of the kingdom. And if what you carry isn't represented and received as kingdom culture, then what you're bringing into the room is you, not Jesus. Like I don't need you to validate me. I don't need you to like me. I don't need you to approve 
of me. But what I should care about is that when Jesus says, pay unto Caesar what is due to Caesar, he's saying, in effect, give to people what you owe them. And what I owe you is an encounter with Jesus through me. Are you with me? Like, I I don't owe you your birthday celebration. I don't owe you to spend time at your house and hang out. I don't owe you to call you and text you nonstop and be your best friend. I don't, like, you don't owe that to anyone. What we owe to people is the fact that when they see me, they see Jesus. When they see you, they should see Jesus. When they hear you speak, they should hear Jesus. When they see you post, they should see Jesus. When they see your videos, they should see Jesus. Like, are you with me? Now, listen, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus and you've not said yes to him, I'm not preaching it. Hopefully, I'm not preaching at anybody. But the only way this mini segment is applicable to you is the fact that it gives you hope in the transforming power of Jesus Christ, right? If you became a Christian yesterday, what we know is that you should act like a Christian that's known Jesus for 24 hours. That seems reasonable, yeah? If, if I've known Jesus for three years, I should bring into the room kingdom culture that speaks and says, I've been with Jesus for three years. When I'm with Jesus, 30 years. I, I hope you understand. I'm not trying to make you look like and feel like a 50-year-old Christian if you've been with him nine months. But make those nine months count because he wants to transform you into his image. Am I, am I speaking language that you, you grasp? I hope it's not coming across as condemning because that's, it's exciting to me. It's exciting to me, and I'll tell you why. Because I've had seasons in my life where I've done things, said things, thought things, been a part of things where I said, wait a minute. I'm wearing old clothing. This isn't the tray that God has called me to be. This, I'm living out a life that God has not destined me to live out. And when I realize that, there is an awakening of purpose inside of me that says, wait, It's not about me performing to be better and to get more from God. It's about me stepping into more freedom than I've ever had before. Because when I acted like that old Trey, I was in bondage and didn't know it. But I don't have to live that way anymore. I don't have to do those things anymore. I don't have to say those things anymore. And it's not because of some religious rite that I have to walk through. It is because God has burst open the gates of the prison that I was in, and he has set me into a place of freedom. It's because he lives that I get to walk in freedom. So that's hope to us today. If you're offended that I'm sitting here saying, hey, act your age, that's just your bondage speaking. The good news is God has more for you. God never finds you or not. God never allows us to stay in a stagnant place because he's holding us back. Whenever you're ready to run, he's ready to run.
So I'm not preaching a sermon today. I'm not preaching a sermon today about just you and Jesus, just you and Jesus, and who cares what the world thinks. Well, I think actually Jesus came for a world to think something, right? God has placed us into the world. God has called us to be separate from the world in it, but not of it. We are in it and not of it. We're not of it so that people see a difference, but we're in it so they can make a difference. So moving on before I run out of time. John writes this. We're supposed to be shocked. Um, I want to give you some questions to diagnose if you think you might have fear of man today. I'm taking these questions from a great book. Highly recommend it. It's called When People Are Big, God is Small by Edward Welch. And he poses these questions that I'll pose to you this morning. Number one. Do you need something from others so that you become dependent on them? Do you need something from others that you become dependent on them? Affirmation. Do you need affirmation from others so that you become dependent and you hang on their word of approval? If so, you might have an issue with fear of men. Number two, do you fish for compliments? Oh, you think I'm losing weight? Really? Thank you. And honestly, I have not been to the gym in six months, but I, I kind of thought I was losing weight too. You know what I mean? You just put yourself out there. Oh, I was going to go buy some new clothes, but I found this in the back of my, I don't know. Do you think I, maybe it looks good? Oh, it looks great, girl. Really? Always fishing for compliments. My wife is over there like, she, she remembers seasons of my preaching where, I wouldn't even let my butt hit the chair after sermon. I'd be like, how'd I do? And she's like, we'll talk later, right? She always says, I'm, she's always says I do good, but I had this deep need for approval. Like, did, did it make sense? Like, did they get, man, they were awfully quiet today when I was talking. Did, they, did it, oh, no, Trey, they were just taking notes. They were, they were listening. Okay, good. Do you, are you always fishing for compliments? Number three, are you ever afraid that you might be exposed as an imposter? That you don't really deserve that job? That you're not really as good of a mom as people think you are? That you're not really as strong as a husband as your wife and kids think you are? Number four, are you overly concerned with how you look, how you dress? the wrinkles, the bags. I'll leave it there. Number five. (laughs) Do you think about your self-esteem, self-worth a lot? Notice that begins with the word self. Are you the highest priority in your thoughts? Number six. Do you ever feel unappreciated? I do all these things and no one even notices. Maybe that's not you, but do you know someone who does that? I sent you a birthday card. You didn't even thank me. Oh, sorry. I mean, you should always thank people that give you a birthday card. But when people gripe that you didn't say thank you, doesn't that make you a little bit go like, anyway. Do you ever make excuses for bad decisions or mistakes that you've made? It's everyone else's fault. You shift the blame. 
You can't handle letting people down. You can't handle feeling like a failure. So there's always some external reason why you made the decision and you, you made the error. You might have a fear of man problem. Number eight, do you show favoritism to people that are above you on the social or the economic ladder? You know, you act one way in front of your friends and the people that you lead, but the moment the boss walks in, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. And everything just totally shifts and changes. You might have a fear of man issue. Are you overcommitted where you can't say no? You say yes to everyone. Anyone have an overcommitment problem? Oh, you might have a fear of man. Let me tell you what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, men tell not only their wives but themselves that it is a hardship to stay late at the office or the school or some bit of important extra work which they have been let in for because they and so-and-so and the two others are the only people left in the place who really know how things are run. But it is not quite true. It is a terrible bore, of course, when old fatty Smithson draws you aside and whispers, look here, we've got to get you in on this examination somehow. Or, Charles and I saw at once that you've got to be in on this community. A terrible bore. Ah, but how much more terrible if you were left out. It is tiring and unhealthy to lose your Saturday afternoons, but to have them free because you don't matter is much worse. Are you overcommitted and keeping yourself running because you're afraid to be alone? Number 10, do you get easily embarrassed? like a guy climbing up steps at a water park that falls down? Do you get easily embarrassed, nervous in groups, or you, do you cower under the gaze of others? You, my friend, might have a fear of man problem. And last but not least, do you compare yourself to others and feel good when they win and envy when they lose? You might have a fear of man issue. Now, how many of us are being totally honest right now and can say, I found myself in at least one of those I might possibly have a fear of man issue. Awesome. Those of you that haven't raised your hand, you are either really super holy or you're too afraid of men in this room <laughs> to raise your hand. If we do any of this, we are defining ourselves by others. We are in bondage to the fear of man. Our idols, they own us. They control us. They dictate the direction of our life, and they dictate the impulses of our heart. It will tell you how to act. It will tell you when to stand and when to sit. It will tell you when to smile and how much teeth to show. It will tell you this idol of fear of men will tell you to be quiet when you should speak up, and it will tell you to speak up when you should keep your mouth closed. Many of us, me included, have this daily battle of this fear of men. What keeps us in bondage? What is it? I mean, we can say all day long, listen, I can look in the mirror on my confident days, puff out my chest, shoulders back and down a bit because the pecs show a little bit more better that way. And I can look myself in the mirror and I can say, Trey, you ain't afraid of nobody. And then I can walk out of my house and be like, how many are with me? You have tried to talk yourself into courage so many times in the moment. You have this little confrontation. And, and I'm not even saying a negative confrontation, just somebody who wants to make a little more eye contact than you. The fear creeps in. 
and the fear is back. And, and you try to build yourself up day after day, trying to get this courage. What keeps us in bondage? I, I would suggest and propose to all of us, it's this notion of a desire for glory. And this is biblical, by the way. You were created with a desire for glory. The Bible says when God made Adam and Eve, he crowned them with glory and honor. So he crowned them with glory and honor so that the glory that they carried represented the glory that he gave them. It was just a reflection. Just point it back to their creator. You see, the creation was created with the desire to reflect the creator. And that looks an awful lot like glory. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the glory and the honor was stripped from them. And the Bible says that they fashioned for themselves fig leaves as a covering. Fig leaves to manufacture their own glory. And aren't you and I doing the same thing? Wealth, education, next step up the ladder in the career world. Our, our kids acting just right, represent the rose as well. Having the right car, having the right house, having everything in order. All of these, aren't they nothing but mere fig leaves trying to fashion clothes for ourselves so that we can make glory that we somehow feel like we're lacking rather than creating clothes to cover us with all of these accoutrements. Why don't we just understand that we, you and I are sons and daughters and we now can be crowned once again with glory and honor. You see, the garden is safe to go back into. We want glory. But the enemy knows that we were created for God's glory, so he's distorted it. He's perverted this notion of glory. And instead of us getting it vertically, you and I, we try desperately to get it horizontally. Even people that we don't like, we want to like us. Can I get an amen? amen? People that you don't even want to be. Now, maybe that doesn't sound very pastoral of me. I'm sure I like a lot of people. I like everybody, okay? Let me just say that so I don't get an email. <laughs> I, like, I like everybody, okay? I'm talking about you. Maybe you don't like people. <laughs> My wife's eyebrows are raised. I'm about to get in trouble. You know what I'm saying? People that you don't even aspire to be like, you care so much what they think about you. Why? Like, really? You're not trying to be them? You and I have to get better about looking for vertical alignment rather than horizontal alignment. One of the, the greatest theologians I know, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> Rocky Balboa was sitting on the edge of his bed and his hands going through his hair. He's a fighter, famous fighter. He's going through his hair and he says, if, if I could just get 15 rounds with the champ, then I'll know I'm not a bum. I wonder if we ever do that. You are one of the greatest champions on planet Earth and you, you get so confused with this rat race. You're sitting on the edge of your bed, wringing your hands, saying, if I could just have 15 rounds with the champ, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Newsflash, you're not a bum. And you don't need 15 rounds to prove it. 
you are crowned, my friend, with glory and with honor. And you have an audience of one so that you can be put on display for an audience called the world. There are three fears. Three basic fears that we have, and I'm just going to describe them really quick as I wrap up today. If you were able to use your magnifying glass, you already know the answer to number one. We are afraid that people will see me, see me. We are afraid that people will see me. We fear people will expose us. They will humiliate us. We see this in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They created the clothes for themselves because it's called sin shame. They adopted shame because of sin. They ate of a tree that they should not have eaten from. They disobeyed God. Therefore, shame was attached to them. A lot of us are afraid to be vulnerable and real with anyone else. We create this image of the person that we want to be. And, and listen, I, I learned a long time ago that God can't bless the person I pretend to be. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. God can't bless the people, the person that I pretend to be. He can only bless the real me, the authentic me. And, and some of us are so afraid of being seen by others. We, we see over and over in scripture this happening, but there's another kind of shame. Now that was the initial shame, right? The sin shame. There's this other kind of shame called victimization shame in scripture. That shows up later on in history, Genesis 34, maybe 39, but I think it's 34, where Dinah is raped. Dinah is raped by a man named Shechem. And Genesis says that Dinah was defiled. And that word doesn't mean she became used goods. That, that word means she was sinned against. And she adopted shame, not because of her wrongdoing, but because of someone else's wrongdoing. Oh, man, the enemy will get you. The enemy will get you. He will get you to embrace shame on the behalf of someone else's sin against you. And, and I think sometimes it's almost harder when you're sinned against to get over than when you've created sin yourself, when you've partnered with sin yourself, because that, that act of reconciliation is out of your hands. You see, when I've done something wrong and that awareness, that light comes on, Holy Spirit reveals that to me, I then have a choice to make. But when someone sins against me, when, when you're raped, when you're neglected, when you are betrayed, when you are lied about and talked about, you have no control of them owning that. And so it's very easy for us. If we're not careful, if we don't understand the freedom that God has already won for us, it's easy for us to hold on to that shame and feel like damaged goods and used goods. And, oh, I, I'm not dumb. How did I not see this coming? I've heard women say, how did I not see that my husband was doing this? How could I be so stupid? And my response often is, it's not stupid to trust your husband. He sinned. You didn't. Don't adopt the shame of trusting your husband because you were let down. Are you hearing me, church? I need you to hear me because there are people in the room right now that need to be set free from this victimization shame. You were hurt. You were wounded. But I'm sent here by God today to tell you it wasn't your fault. And it's not yours to carry anymore. 
We're scared that people will see me. The second fear is people will reject me. People will reject me. We see this in scripture in the example of Peter. Peter's denial. He just wanted to be accepted. We fear that people will reject us, ridicule us, despise us, kick us out of the group. Another way we could phrase this is people pleasing. Do I have any people pleasers in the room? A few of us. Yep. Some of you are like, yeah, me. Was I the first to raise my hand? Yep, you were. You're a people pleaser. The third is people will hurt me. We fear that people can attack us, oppress us, or threaten us. An example of this in scripture is the children of Israel. When they were in the wilderness for 40 years, they sent spies into the promised land. You know, the land that was promised to be theirs by God. And the report came back that we are like grasshoppers in their eyes. We're like, we're going to be demolished. We're going to be destroyed. They were so consumed that they were going to be hurt by what God had already said they had victory over. These three fears see people as bigger than God. Bigger than God. Jeremiah 17, and I'll close with this. Jeremiah 17. I'm going to start with verse 7. It says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You know why God doesn't want you afraid of man? Because when you're afraid of men, you need something from them. You need their approval. You need their commendation. You need their affirmation. And as long as you need something from them, you can't give something to them. You see, as long as we fear men, we can't love men fully. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Fear of man is, I don't know that I've heard it preached about an awful lot, but it's something that we need to talk about more often. The reality is that you are uniquely made. You were specifically designed and crafted for your role, the role that you play in the kingdom. And to compare yourself to any other creation is not doing the creator any favors because he made you unique. And so today, how many of us would just have the courage to say, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me in this fear of man issue. I just need to address it. I just need heaven to address it. Now, those of you that have your hands raised, let me tell you next week, I'm going to talk about the atomic solution, which is the fear of God. And as we have the fear of God, fear of man begins to diminish. But I'm going to pray specifically for you over this week that God will do something new, birth something new inside of you. Heavenly Father, every person that raised their hand, God, I thank you for what you're doing in the room. God, I thank you. I thank you that fear of man has had its heyday on our life, but its time has come. It's time to evict that monster from our life. God, the, 
the uneasiness, the insecurity, constantly comparing, the wondering how people are going to impact us or affect us. God, it's just too much. We've been playing God too much in our life. And God, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to look around and to know that if everyone would just behave, my life would be great. God, we don't have to control them. We just surrender to you. And we understand that everything rises and falls on the breath of you, not on circumstances or the thoughts of men. So God, this week, I ask that you would stir within us a new desire to no longer be slaves to fear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.